Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Jill, thank you very much indeed for, for reading. You may have noticed from the order of service that the uh, sermon title is I Believe in the Life Everlasting, which was last week when uh, Trevor came to preach. Remind me of the, the preacher who um, spoke, he was a guest, and he spoke at a church service and uh, spoke passionately and eloquently, and at the end the uh, pastor who'd invited him said, um, please, preach again, preach again. So, uh, unusual, but he thought, well, you know, don't want to disobey the, the preacher, so he, he went up and preached the sermon again, and at the end, over coffee, he was chatting, and he said, um, is it normally your practice to ask the preacher to, to preach the sermon twice? And they went, well, here we're a very discerning church, we're full of the Spirit, we can discern, uh, you know, when the anointing of God is on a preacher, and uh, when it isn't, we like to give him another go. <laughs> Which is not a reflection on Trevor at all, I'm very grateful... <laughs> very grateful to Trevor last week. I managed to listen to it. Uh, it was, um, it's been downloaded. It's on the website. And uh, I'm so grateful for Trevor finishing off our series so wonderfully on, on the Creed and for Alan leading us as well. We begin a new series on the subject of prayer. So why don't we pray now and ask God to open scripture to us and reveal his heart to us. Father, as we often rehearsed here and as we've sung You've revealed something of yourself to us in Jesus Christ. When we see him, when we recognize what he's done for us, we are able to draw near to you with confidence. Lord, we thank you for this gift of prayer by which our relationship might be built, grown, developed. Teach us to pray, Lord Jesus. 
and help us through the study of your word. In your name. Amen. Amen. Let me read. These will be familiar words, but as well as, uh, if you have a finger in Ephesians 2, which Jill has just read for us, uh, and then I'm in Matthew chapter 6, page 918. And I want to use as a point of departure this passage in Matthew. Um, we'll look at other texts as well as we unpack. And I want to use the, the sort of template of the Lord's Prayer as we unpack what it is to pray to God. And I want to explore this morning what it is to pray to God through the Son and by the Spirit. But Jesus says, teaching the disciples, um, chapter 6 and verse 5, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. And I'll pause there. I'll come back to that text over the coming weeks. Our Father in heaven. Many people pray times of uh, national disaster in the past when uh, we were more consciously aware of the fact that we were a Christian country. Uh, the leaders, uh, the nation's leaders called us to pray. Um, more recently, uh, there's been a call to pray at the imminence imminence of a national disaster. Um, Here is uh, uh, one of the nation's leaders at the time, at least the leader of the football team on the back pages. Rooney, we pray for a miracle, says Ericsson. Uh, And this was on the eve of uh, last year's World Cup when it wasn't quite sure whether uh, Rooney would make it or not. We pray for a miracle, but the question is, who who do you pray to? And the answer is supplied by the, the, uh, is it the sun? Yeah, it was the sun. There we are, front page. There is a God. A picture of Rooney kicking a ball. He might make it after all. Ah, so we pray. And it's to God we pray. And he proves himself in miraculous answer. Um, Well, that was fleeting, wasn't it? It got knocked out by Portugal, I seem to remember. Many people pray. But the question is, who do we pray to? It's this this sense, this sort of uh, innate sense within us that we need, in order to fully comprehend life, And to live life well, to live life as we were designed to live, we need to go beyond ourselves, outside ourselves, to something or someone. Who do we pray to? The story is told of a man who um, fell off the edge of a cliff and he was free falling to what would have been his certain death, except amazingly, his hand managed to sort of just grab hold of a branch that was growing out of the cliff face. And incredibly, he held onto this branch And by one arm, he was dangling thousands of feet above this precipice, which would lead to certain death were he to let go. And in his desperation, he looks up and he says, if anyone is out there, please help. And a voice comes from the heavens. I am here. I am God. Let go of the branch and trust me. And the man hangs there in frantic desperation. And after a little pause, he says, 
If there's anyone else out there (laughs) Who are we praying to? Who do Christians pray to? And the answer, just with uh, combining these two passages, I want to say, is that uniquely Christians, among all the other philosophies and uh, world religions, uniquely Christians address their prayer, their, their cry and call from the heart to God the Father through the Son or in his name and by the power or the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, Say, Our Father, Our Father in heaven. Let's focus on those words just for a moment as we unpack what it is for Christians to pray. Our Father, the privilege of prayer. The privilege of prayer. That psalm I read at the start, indeed any psalm, you may just want to randomly turn to any psalm and you'll quickly come across reference to the Lord I mean uh, Psalm 23 the Lord's my shepherd page 533 and I wonder whether you've ever noticed it's ever occurred to you that every time the Lord the name of God is mentioned in the Old Testament it's written, it's translated in our English Bibles um, with, it's written Lord in capital letters do you see there, Psalm 23 I've got, but you, really a myriad, hundreds of references to God in the Old Testament by his name, Yahweh, and it's written Lord in capital letters. Have you ever wondered why that is? Why not write it in lowercase? Why is it written in capital letters? And the translators there are trying to tell us what's going on. What they're translating is the name, well, what they're wanting to uh, uh, indicate is the name Yahweh the name by which God revealed himself. I am who I am. But Jews understood the sovereign holiness of God, the complete otherness of God, and they knew in relation to God their own sinfulness and unworthiness. So much so that they couldn't even bring themselves to mention the name Yahweh, which is a bit of a problem if you're trying to write the name of the Lord and describe greatness and goodness to him. Then what do you do? And so the solution they came up with was to write the name Yahweh but remove the vowels. So that you're just left with Y-H-W-H if you take out the A and the E as, as in English we would transliterate it. And in order to denote where Y-H-W-H comes up in the text Lord, in other words Yahweh, the full name is written but in capitals to denote that it's not Yahweh that we're reading, but W-H-Y-H, which itself is an indication of the, the respect, the awe, the godly fear that the Jewish scribes held Yahweh in. So every time you see Lord in capitals in the Old Testament, it is reference to Yahweh, but it is an indication of the fact that his name is so holy, he is so pure, that we dare not even take his name. Indeed, it is, uh, it's recorded that Jewish scribes, when they were copying out the scriptures, when they came to write W-H-Y-H, they would then throw away the nib, because the nib had written Yahweh's name. And so they take another nib and carry on writing. And when Jesus' disciples came to him and said, 
Teach us to pray. He said, when you pray, say, Our Father. Our Father. The privilege for the people of God, the Jews at that time, the privilege. No longer this distant, this fear, this, this sort of awesomeness of God's name. We can call him Father. The intimacy, the closeness, the, the longing for relationship implicit in that, in that call, in that prayer. Our Father. Jesus said in John 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends because everything that the Father has revealed to me, I make known to you. Everything I've learned from the Father, I make known to you. There's an access, there's an intimacy, there's a relationship here where we are privileged As Christians, God's people today, we're privileged to call God Father. I've called, uh, it's not on the service sheet, but on the notice outside, this opening talk, prayer as access. We have access to the Father. We can call God Father. We can begin and develop a relationship with him through prayer. The privilege of prayer. The significance of prayer as we call God Father. Um, last year, quite randomly, and with there's nothing of merit on either Joe or myself at all in this invitation, but we received an invitation from Lambeth Palace to go and spend 24 hours at Lambeth Palace in the company, with one or two others, of um, the Archbishop of Canterbury. And it turns out that every year he, he asks various stars and bishops to just pick a name out of the hat of relatively new incumbents. And I fitted that bill and my name was pulled out of the hat. And so Joe and I, we spent 24 hours uh, at Lambeth Palace. Three sessions, there were about 12 of us from around the country. And in three sort of relaxed seminar sessions, we um, had an audience with, with the Archbishop. And the, he went around the room and he wanted to know. He asked how each of us were getting on and what was going on and... So I told him all about St. Dionys and uh, how wonderful you all are and how wonderful it is here. And, and, you know, for, I don't know, five or six minutes, Joe and I, we had the complete uh, uh, focused attention of the Archbishop of Canterbury. Extraordinary privilege, actually. It was a wonderful um, occasion. It just, and as, I, as we were sort of sharing about, you know, what God had done in our lives and what he was doing here, I thought, goodness, this is extraordinary. The, the kind of leader of the Anglican Communion, worldwide Anglican Communion, is listening and hearing and, and interested in, in me. I, sort of, it, it, I had one of those sort of slight out-of-body experiences where I was sitting on this kind of sofa and I suddenly sort of hovered about myself, uh, above myself, and looked at this situation and thought, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> you know, little Tim Stilwell talking to the Archbishop of Canterbury and sort of you know, pontificating on, you know, what the Lord's doing here at St. Dionys. You know, in another sense, we felt, we felt incredibly sort of valued and uh, an, an extraordinary privilege and significance. He's interested in what's going on here in the people of God's lives. Extraordinary significance conferred. Our Father, privilege 
and significance. But it's not just our Father. It's our Father in heaven. Prayer is to our Father in heaven. The creator of the universe. The writer in Genesis, we brought this out before, this extraordinary sort of aside. He made the stars also. I wonder if you've thought about the power that is contained in that phrase, our Father in heaven. On the 20th of August, 1977, Voyager 2 was launched into space and uh, hurtled out from Earth at a speed of 90,000 miles per hour to collect data from the outer planetary system. Um, Just over 10 years later, 28th of August, 1989, it reached Neptune, which is 2,700 million miles from Earth. And I'm told that it will not come within one light year of any star for 958,000 years. And it will just keep going. And it won't get to the end of the universe. Do you know, our galaxy is one, it contains hundreds of thousands of millions of stars, but our galaxy is only one of itself, a hundred thousand million galaxies in the entire universe. Think of the, I mean, it's, it's impossible, actually, to think of just how vast that is. He made that. Think of the power. Apparently, our sun emits energy equal to uh, sorry, every square meter of the sun's surface emits energy equal to 130,000 horsepower. Think of the size. Think of the power. And Jesus says, we can connect. We can have access with the source of that power. We can know him intimately, our Father in heaven. What is Christian prayer? It is the privilege of intimate access with the greatest power in the world. Someone once said, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the arm of omnipotence. What a gift, what a privilege is prayer. And we may form a relationship. We may know God the Father in heaven. We may have access to that power. I wonder if you've ever thought about that. Just how much, how we have access to so much power, to so much reality, to so much of what God wants us to be and how he wants us to live. Free from fear, full of significance and worth. I remember having an illustration when I was a lad about 12 or 13 um, of what it is to know a power that can overcome fear. I had a friend who was in the year above me, and he was an avid Arsenal fan, and he used to go and watch, in the holidays go and watch every single uh, Arsenal game. And I used to go with him. Um, this will slightly date me and be an indication of inflation when I tell you that um, in those days you could stand on the terraces at Highbury for 50p and watch um, what was just as good a game of football then as it is now, really. And uh, I think, I don't know what it was. We, I remember the game, it was against Newcastle, and um, I don't know whether we'd been a little bit indiscreet with some money that we'd had on, on our person, but a couple of Newcastle fans, they looked, I don't know, in their early 20s, and they didn't look particularly friendly, had clearly noticed us. And we became very aware of the fact that they were, they were really eyeballing us and were following us. 
So we kind of took a detour from the... We, we didn't go straight for the tube station. We took a little detour to try and lose them, and we didn't lose them. They were following us. They were definitely following us. And I remember that rising, sickening sense of fear uh, as I just thought, something's going to happen here. And we were kind of muttering to ourselves, you know, what are we going to do? They're, they're following us here, and, you know, oh, you know I'm scared. And uh, we just turned the corner, and as we turned the corner, we came face-to-face with one of the largest Arsenal fans I've ever come across. I knew he was an Arsenal fan because he was wearing one of the largest Arsenal shirts it's possible to buy. Extra, extra large. He was enormous. I mean, he was big, but he was also wide. And um, you know that song they sometimes sing at football games, Who Ate All the Pies? Well, I, I had the answer in this Arsenal fan. He, my goodness, he was enormous. Now, fortunately, I mean, maybe it was unfortunate too, because this is what, but my friend had an Arsenal scarf. So we immediately recognised each other. He recognised the scarf and we recognised the shirt. And so we immediately, we started a conversation. He turned out to be the friendliest guy I've ever met as well. Big and friendly. What an answer to prayer. And so we started talking. And um, we just said, can you help us? We think these two guys are wanting to cause a bit of trouble. And he, he, he just smiled. He said, leave it with me, guys. Leave it with me. And he just, what he did, he saw the guy, spotted the guys, and he just stood there. Like that. And of course, because we'd affect, we'd got this relationship with this guy now, and there was the link, the, the Arsenal link. And so because of the link, we had access to the power. So Richard, my friend, and I, we... We, we just stood there as well. Like that. Close to the guy. The Arsenal link, nothing, see, in our own, we were just a couple of puny boys. But with the Arsenal link, we had access to what, in that context, was power. I wonder if you've ever thought of the access that we have to God's power and God's might. When we think of him as a father, which of us fathers long to give whatever we can to our children? If you have nieces or nephews, if you have... Uh, just um, uh, you know, young people who you are related to or connected to, how you would long to use your maturity, your significance, your status as adults to help and resource. Think, our Father in Heaven, how much does He want to pour His power into our lives that we might live free and confidently, full of significance? The thing is, and here's where we come to Ephesians 2, I only had access to that Arsenal fan because of a link. I had nothing to do with him other than the Arsenal link. Paul writes, look, in verse 11, where the reading came in, Remember, you formerly who were Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised, remember, verse 12, that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants, without hope and without God in the world, cut off. No access to power, no sense of significance, no possibility of relationship with God. You were without God. But look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. He's made a new body, the church. And he's done away with the barrier of sin. That's why, secondly, if, if Christian prayer is firstly to 
uh, addressed to God, the Father in heaven. Secondly, it is through Jesus the Son. It is in his name or through his power, through what he has done. Christ has died and as we rehearsed last term, his death has smashed the power of sin, has smashed the power of fear, has smashed the power of futility, of weakness. And so just as the temple curtain was torn in through, which provided the kind of division between God who was thought to reside in the Holy of Holies in the, in the, the heart of the temple, and so that, that barrier was torn in, through, uh, torn in two, And so we have access through the barrier, through the curtain, into the very presence of God himself. That is what Christ has done. And we have that access in Christ. In our own merit, in our own strength, we get nowhere. We're worthless. But in Christ, we have access to the Father. Look at verse 18 of chapter 2. For through him, that's Jesus, we both, he's talking about Jew and Gentile, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. The validity of Jesus and the death that he died, the blood that he shed, in order that we might come to know God as Father. The uh, value of a check depends not only on the amount written in the box, it also depends on whose account the cheque is drawn. If I was to hand you a cheque for a million pounds and sign it T.J. Stilwell, I have to tell you now, it'd be worthless. (laughs) But if I handed you a cheque for a million pounds and it was signed Bill Gates, that's a different story. You see, if you draw on the bank account of Tim Stilwell, you won't get very far. If you draw on the bank account of Bill Gates, you'll get quite a bit further. When we look to go to God's account in heaven, in our own rights, we'll find we're bankrupt. But God, in his grace, allows us to draw on Jesus and his account. And Jesus has unlimited credit with God. And the the, good... The amazing news of the gospel, the grace of the gospel, is that God allows us to draw on Jesus' account so that we may inherit all the riches of heaven. So Christian prayer is to the Father through the Son. Do you notice every time we pray the collect, and as, as we pray, uh, as people lead us in prayer here, often we will sort of round up a prayer, if you like, that all of the prayers that we might petition God with, the requests that we make, are gathered up And they're only worth anything, really, because they are prayed in Jesus' name or through Jesus Christ. He is the one who enables us to validate the prayers that we pray in the presence of God the Father. Finally, briefly, thirdly, Christian prayer is to the Father, through the Son, and by one Spirit. You notice, by the way, Jesus taught us to pray our Father, not my Father. Prayer is a unifying act. Each of us call to the one Heavenly Father by the one Spirit. And it's through the Spirit that we are inspired to pray. I wonder how often, I know all too often if I were to confess, the times I feel hopeless or inadequate when I begin to contemplate what it is 
I'm seeking to do in prayer. I feel weak and helpless. I don't feel I have the words to say. I don't know where to start so often. And, and, and all too often I confess because I, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to start. All too often I just, I just go into avoidance. I make another cup of coffee or I, I get into activity, something that I think I can do because I feel so weak and helpless and impotent when it comes to thinking of prayer. Well, thanks be to God. Verse 18 again. Through him we have access to the Father by one spirit. Paul writes to the church in Rome, chapter 8, verse 26. We often don't know how to pray in our weakness, but God helps us. And the Spirit intercedes for us on our behalf. God has given us life by his Spirit, and it's his life that percolates and wells up in us and forms prayers that Paul says in Romans 8 are like sort of groans that words cannot express. Just to sigh or to groan or to cry is an expression of prayer. When we feel frustrated, when we feel burdened, when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel helpless, the Spirit helps us. Christian prayer to the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit. You may have noticed in that reading in, in Matthew that um, uh, Matthew said just before, sorry, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, just before he began to teach on prayer. Do not be like the pagans, he says, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. That stands the reason, doesn't it? If it's the Spirit interceding on our behalf and the Spirit knows the mind of the Father. And so there's a kind of connection that takes place. God's life in us, drawing us into God's presence, a greater awareness of his presence, his manifest presence. But if God knows what we need before we ask, then what's the point of asking? I mean, God is sovereign. He can do anything. He created the stars, the heavens. Why don't we just leave it to him? Sit back, not bother with prayer. And this brings us full circle. It brings us to where we started. As prayer, the ultimate expression of relationship. Prayer, intimacy with God the Father. Again, forgive me if you're not a parent, but those of us with children, which of us does not long, ache, for our children to come to us, particularly if they are in any kind of need. It doesn't matter if they can't articulate it. It doesn't matter if they stumble over their words or they can't express exactly what it is. Don't we want them to come to us? Well, one of the pains that I, I often feel as a parent is when I can tell that one of my children is troubled and I'll say to them, darling, what's the matter? And they say, nothing. And you're like, oh, because I know, I know there's something wrong. Please tell me. Why won't you tell me? And I try as lovingly as I can to draw it out from them. Which father, which parent, which, which adult with, a, with a, a child close to them would not want to hear what the need is, even if you know what it is already? Sometimes I think in prayer we focus on the needs. We think, well, I bring my needs. But actually, do you know what God is far more interested in? Not necessarily what we need. He's just interested that we bring ourselves to him. It doesn't matter if we don't quite know what to pray or how to pray or what to ask. 
We probably don't. We have impaired vision. We don't have full knowledge like he does. He is sovereign. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He knows and is far greater than us. If I can put it like this, don't misunderstand me. I I don't want to misrepresent God. I, I don't think in one sense he's particularly interested in what we ask for. He just wants us to be in his presence. He wants us to bring ourselves to him. Even if it's just that we sit there in silence. But in his presence, mindful of him. The privilege of Christian prayer. Trusting God as Father in heaven. Well, in subsequent weeks, we're going to unpack uh, how we pray, what different disciplines there are, uh, and what we might expect. What do we mean when we pray, your kingdom come? What do we mean when we pray, as Jesus taught us, deliver us from evil? Lead us not into temptation. Some puzzling things here, which I want to unpack, and unpack the power and the efficacy of prayer beneath those statements. But for now, let's just be quiet for a moment as we sit and reflect on all that God has given us in the privilege of prayer. Just take a moment in the quiet. Perhaps um, the power and ability of God has always felt rather distant, rather out there, perhaps accessible to others. But as, as we are in Christ, so in Christ, we may call God Father, Father in heaven. We may access all the riches of heaven, grace, strength, provision, patience, peace, joy. I just want to ask the Spirit to come and minister to those of us now who maybe have felt quite distant from God. Maybe um, this concept of God as Father is a troubling one. If you picture the image of your own Father, perhaps not a, a great or wholesome relationship. Can you ask now, by the power of the Spirit, for that image of fatherhood to be redeemed in Jesus. That you may know a fresh freedom, renewed significance, safety, security, joy in coming to know God as Father. sense too as we talk about prayer that some of us have been disappointed in the past and just in these few moments of quiet can you ask in your heart the the spirit, the life of God to wipe away disappointment and to increase the ability to trust Father, we thank you for your work by your spirit. Come and increase our faith in you, we pray. 
smooth our access into your presence as we seek you. Put ourselves before you. Invite you to come and live in us, to transform us, to renew us, to guide and direct us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.